This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. Glad that you could be here uh, this morning. I'll add my welcome to Zach's from earlier. Um, You've been hearing a little bit about this, but we are at the midpoint of our Making Room initiative, uh, which started last fall, and and, uh, we're uh, about a year in uh, now to this two-year campaign. And if you're new to the church, this is a really great time to be here because what we're doing is we're preparing for the next phase of our ministry as a church. And a large part of that preparation is the construction of an addition to the building, seeing all the work that's going on uh, next door there, adding on to this space. And what we're hoping to do is we're hoping to make room for more stories of lives changed and impacted by the gospel. We're hoping to make room for new ministries to develop, some that we have ideas for now, some that we know will be generated over the course of the next decade. We're hoping to make room for more hospitality, as we've been talking about in this series, hoping to make room for more space to be useful to our neighborhood, and hoping to make room for more capacity for kids' ministry and student ministry. And so this is a very exciting time for us. We are really glad that you're here for it. And we had a congregational meeting on Monday night, this last Monday night, and one of the things that we discussed at the meeting was the tremendous amount of generosity by you all in response to this. Our original goal that we set out last year as we were talking about this was to raise $6.8 million over two years. That's $2.8 million uh, for two years of our normal operating budget, and then $4 million for the building expansion. And uh, the great thing is we are on track to meet this. It's a a, a wonderful thing, and and we want to give thanks uh, for that. Unfortunately, the, the cost of the building, though, is a little bit more uh, than we had originally anticipated or, or planned for or projected. The cost of the building is going to be closer to $6.3 million, and there are a few reasons for this. Uh, one is simply moving from conceptual drawings to more detailed design drawings. We just know more about the specifics than we did at the beginning, trying to make this space as useful as it can be for as long as it can be. Uh, Some of it has to do with the rising uh, material costs. We've all seen uh, the inflated prices in our own personal budgets. That's also the case, especially with material costs, concrete, steel, all those things that are being used to to build this this addition to the building. And the third part is is higher bids than originally anticipated by the subcontractors that we're using. And we talked about all this on Monday night. The elders answered questions about it as well. Um, But the reality is this leaves us with a little bit of a gap, right? This expected $4 million uh, to come in for the building construction and $6.3 million being the new estimated cost. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to need to finance part of this project. And this is something we're prepared to do as a church. We knew it was a possibility even when we began the project. And on Monday night, uh, through a unanimous vote in the congregational meeting, the congregation authorized the session to pursue financing to this end. And I should say also, we're confident that we can do this. Uh, We are in a really strong position as a church. Even with financing this part of the project, we will be within our goals in terms of percentages uh, of our budget for facilities going forward. And so we feel really good about that. But that said, we would like to close the gap a little bit. Um, The reality is the more that's given now, the less financing that we'll need 
to do. And so that brings us to these midpoint commitment cards that Zach was talking about a little bit earlier. If uh, We'll have uh, these next week as well, but if you took any of the devotionals, these are in there as well. Um, but next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to collect these, take these up, and it will give us a much better idea of where we stand in terms of pledges for the second year of this initiative. And so if you're new and you didn't get to do this last year, um, this is a chance to jump in. We'd love to have you be a part of this. We really want it to be part of the work of the whole church. And if you did make a pledge last year, there's a place for you to indicate there what that was, and, and then we'd ask you to prayerfully consider, can you finish strong, right, reaffirming your pledge for the second half of the campaign, or could you increase? Could you help us close that gap between the $4 million and the $6.3 million for the construction budget? And if you're not going to be here next Sunday, you can turn that in the following Sunday, December 3rd. So the next two times to, or the two times to turn this in are either the 26th of November or Sunday, December 3rd. And of course, I'll be hanging around afterwards. I can talk to you more about this. You can find any of our elders or deacons. They should be able to talk to you about this uh, as well. But alongside this midpoint refresh, we have been studying over the last couple of weeks the book of Ruth from the Old Testament together. And we've been using Ruth as a way to talk about the why behind, why are we even doing this, right? What's the, what's the why behind the what of the building edition? Why are we doing this? And the answer we've been saying all along is, is mission, because the, the book of Ruth, it helps shape our understanding of our missionary vocation as a church. Because after all, what is the story of Ruth? The story of Ruth begins with a person on the outside of the people of God, on the outside of the kingdom of God, and by the end of the book, she comes into the kingdom. She comes into the family of the king, and that really is the goal of all mission, is it not? For people who are on the outside to come inside to God's welcome, to God's people. And in Ruth, that happens through the hospitality of God's people, through the welcome the kindness of God's people. And so today we come to Ruth chapter 3, and in many ways this is the high point of the book. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you're using one of the Bibles in your rows, it begins on page 223, and if you are, uh, it's also printed for you in your bulletin, so you can follow along as well. Ruth chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole of the text. It's not that long, and it is an interesting story, so we'll follow along as we read. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled. And turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servants, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. 
I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to come and sit together under your word. We pray as we... Uh, as we think upon it, as we treasure these things up in our heart, as we try to decipher the meaning of the story, that you would help us indeed not only understand what's happening here, but apply it to our lives in a way that helps us to fulfill our mission as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this, uh, this can be a very confusing passage. All right, There's a we're pretty culturally distant from what's happening here, and thus it's a little difficult for us to decipher. I do want to state right up front, though, uh, please do not read this as a manual on how to propose marriage, all right? Uh, this is not the way. Uh, please don't read this as a way to tell somebody that you're interested in them, right? If you are thinking of sneaking up beside somebody while they're sleeping in the middle of the night, anointed with oil, smelling like a Yankee candle store... Don't do it, right? This is not the course of action. I cannot emphasize this enough. And if somebody's done this to you, please go talk to somebody about this. You're probably going to need to process that. So this is not a dating manual. This is not a how-to for how to get engaged. But it is a fascinating story. And believe it or not, it does teach us something about our mission in our city, our mission with our neighbors and our neighborhood. And so as we talk about it this morning, let's talk first just about Naomi's proposal, right? This bold proposal. The chapter begins with Naomi and Ruth having a conversation. Now remember, Naomi is an elderly Israelite widow. Ruth is a young Moabite widow. They're back in Bethlehem, which is Naomi's hometown. They're living on the land that belonged to Naomi's husband, but they find themselves in a situation where they cannot pay for the land, right? They can't keep up this farm. Uh, the two of them, just the two of them can't work it. They can't pay somebody to work in the land. And so, uh, therefore, they're making ends meet by sending Ruth out to glean in the fields. This is what the poor would do. They would go out and glean in the fields, kind of get the leftovers from the fields, and we learned in the last chapter, the kindness of Boaz, one of these field owners, was putting food on their table. That's how they're getting by. But the problem now is it's harvest time, which means in a few short weeks, there's not going to be any more gleaning for months and months, right? So this, the way they had been making ends meet is now going to dry up, which puts them in a predicament. What are they going to do now? Verse 1. 
Naomi says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And some people paraphrase it like this. Uh, Ruth, I want to see you settled in this life. I want to see you taken care of, Ruth. That's Naomi's motivation here. And so Naomi comes up with a plan. The plan is this, Ruth, I want you to take off your grieving clothes. I want you to wash yourself, perfume yourself like a a bride would. Take off your grieving clothes. Remember, Ruth's husband had died before. Take off your grieving clothes, put on your going out clothes, and I want you to go and find Boaz. And we know where he's going to be, right? It's harvest time. He's going to be at the threshing floor. And after he eats with his workers, eventually he's going to sleep out there somewhere. So I want you to find out where he is. And then in the dark, while he's asleep, sneak up by him, turn back his covers, and then lie down by his feet. And that's the plan. (laughs) It's not a good plan. But it is a bold plan. Uncover his feet. Now, there's some debate about this. But this does seem to be a kind of innuendo of sorts. Right? Ruth is going to, in a moment, appeal to Boaz's sense of duty. But uh, Naomi's thinking here, probably also good if you appeal to his sense of desire. All right? And this is a risky plan. All kinds of danger here for Ruth. I mean, what if she stumbles on the wrong man, right? This is, remember, no electric lights. This is the middle of the night. Uh, they're out in the fields, Right? What if she stumbles on the wrong man? That could go wrong. What if Boaz takes advantage of her? They have a favorable sense of his character, but this is still a pretty compromising position to put yourself in. And they actually don't know him that well. I mean, they have a sense of who he is, but it's still pretty new. And then what if he rejects her? What if he exposes her? What if he shames her? A lot of things can go wrong here. And I think this does remind us, you know, that desperation can make you do a lot of crazy things. You know, there are people that you're going to encounter in your life, maybe you can think of some right now, who are doing some things. When you look at it, they seem pretty desperate, seem pretty crazy. And I just wonder if you could have compassion for people like that in your life. Doesn't mean you have to agree with the things they're doing or even say that they're wise, but I wonder if you could see the place from which it's coming and have some compassion. Remember we said in previous weeks that when people no longer have a home, And here I'm thinking more metaphorically, right? A home, like a place to land, a a place of shelter, a place where you feel safe and secure, like you belong in the world. If you don't have that, then you're going to build a shelter out of almost anything. And that can lead to a kind of desperation. In a world of chaos, in a world where there are no fixed points, in a world without God, without truth, as our secular world seems to be, you're going to make a home somewhere, Some people are doing it in the idolatry of money, thinking that's what will give us safety and security and significance. Some of us are doing it through romance. Some of us are doing it with sex. Desperation can make you do crazy things. And we can wag our finger at that. Or we can look at people with the eyes of compassion. Well, Naomi, she has this crazy plan. And then Ruth follows through on it. She lays down next to Boaz. Just She does all the things that Naomi says. She draws back his robe. And remember, they didn't have underwear back then, so it's pretty drafty at this point. The suspense builds in the story. And verse 8, Boaz wakes up, right? Middle of the night, probably because his covers are off. He wakes up. And then he does what you and I would do in that moment. Ah, right? Like there's somebody at my feet. There's a woman at my feet. Again, this is not advisable behavior. I just want to say that one more time. He says, who are you? And she answers, I am Ruth, your servant. 
Now, Naomi said at this point in the plan, she said to Ruth, Boaz will tell you what to do. But, but Ruth doesn't wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. She tells him what to do. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And there are two ideas cooked into this statement. And Boaz would have known just what she was talking about. First, Ruth is saying, I want you to provide God's shelter for me. Back in chapter 2, Boaz had used language very much like this. He said to Ruth, he said, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's Ruth 2.12. And so Ruth is saying here, right, echoing this prayer that Boaz had made for her. She's saying to Boaz, Boaz, you prayed that I would find refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. And now, Boaz, I'm asking that you'd be an answer to your own prayer. Would you be an answer to your own prayer? I want you to provide God's shelter for me. And then secondly, she's saying, will you marry me? Probably at the bottom of your page in your Bible, most of the translations, there'll be a footnote. And it'll say something like, the word for wings can be the same as the word for the corners of a garment. And we have words like that in English, right, that have multiple meanings. We um, talk about a leaf of a tree, but we can also talk about the leaf in a book or turning over a new leaf. That's kind of happening here with this word. Cover me with your wings. Cover me with your garment, which she had just pulled back, right? Now she pulls it back. She's saying, cover me with your garment, cover me with your wings. It has a note of protection, cover me, protect me. It also has a note of intimacy. Take me to you, Boaz, make me yours, bring me near. And we know Boaz gets this idea right away because immediately he says, Ruth, I'm flattered that you would choose me when you could choose from all these younger men. He clearly knows what's happening here. She's proposing marriage. Now this is probably not how Boaz thought this night was going to go when he laid down to go to sleep, right? Uh, Wake up, somebody's at his feet, snuck up by him, a bold proposal. What's he going to say? All right, let's talk about, secondly, Boaz's response. Uh, Ruth says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And starting in verse 9, that term redeem, redeemer, redemption, comes up seven times in this, and it comes up in Ruth chapter four even more. This is, becomes the theme going forward. And the Hebrew word for this is goel. Or goel. It sounds the same, but I was trying to pronounce it differently there. But you have the benefit here of the ancient Hebrew being a dead language, so we'll just all pretend I said it perfectly. Uh, this is a technical term in ancient Israel. A goel is someone who buys back, somebody who redeems. Fundamentally, the meaning is to protect, to stretch out your protection for someone else. And the idea of the kinsman redeemer, the relative who can redeem, the kinsman redeemer, the goel, is woven throughout Israelite society. Deuteronomy chapter 25 talks about this. Leviticus 25 talks about this and some of the situations where it might be employed. For example, if someone was sold into slavery... If you ran into hard times, if you, in order to make ends meet, to pay off a debt, if you had to sell yourself to become a kind of indentured servant, then a kinsman redeemer, a goel, could come in and pay the debt in order to set you free. Similarly with land. 
If someone was forced to sell their land in order to make thing ends meet, a goel could come in and buy back the land in order to keep it within the family. And thirdly, and this is what's at play here in our story, if somebody were to die and leave a widow behind with no children, a redeemer could take the widow under his care and hopefully have children, right? They'd get married, they would have children, so then the woman would be cared for, but also so the deceased's name would continue on, the family line would continue on. So there's a social and an economic dimension here to the kinsman redeemer, to the goel. But in ancient Israel, it's never just that, right? It's never just a social and an economic piece. There's always a theological connection as well, because this practice of redemption bears witness, not just to the need for a social function in Israel, but it bears witness to the God of Israel. God often refers to himself as the redeemer, of Israel. Exodus chapter 6. Yahweh calls himself the God who redeemed them, the God who was going to take them out of slavery in Egypt. He is their Goel. He is their Redeemer. Isaiah 43, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Psalm 103, I could have picked, I mean, oodles and oodles of Psalms to choose from here, but bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, he heals all your diseases, who redeems you. From the pit. There's a social and an economic dimension, a way for a relative, a kinsman, to redeem and to protect some who may find themselves in the hardest of times. But there's also a theological dimension. This concept bears witness to God, who is the Redeemer of Israel. And finally, I'll just say about this concept of redemption redemption is always costly, it's always costly. Redemption always involves the pain of debts or the taking on of burdens. Redemption, to put it another way, redemption always comes with a price. The Redeemer always has to bear a cost. And so all this, this is the backdrop to what Ruth is asking here. And this is the backdrop to how Boaz responds to Ruth's request. And how does he respond to her? Well, first, Boaz begins by consoling her fears. I mean, Ruth has just put herself out there, right? Naomi's crazy plan. She's really put herself out there. And Boaz says in verse 11, do not fear. Do not fear. And you only say do not fear to somebody if there's a pretty good chance they're afraid, right? And Ruth surely would have been afraid. She was exposed. She was vulnerable. Is he going to take advantage of her? Is he going to tell her that she's nuts and reject her and send her away? I mean, Boaz could have looked at her and said, listen here, like this predicament that you're in, it's your own fault. Or at least it's Naomi's fault. She never should have left Bethlehem in the first place. Why would you go down to Moab? This is the trouble of her own making. You get what you get. Or he could have said to her, Ruth, listen, you're a Moabite. No offense, but Moab is the enemy of Israel. I have no part with you. I have no responsibility for you. That's not how Boaz responds at all. Rather, he blesses her, verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And then he compliments her in verse 11. He says, you are a worthy woman. And that term for a worthy woman, that's the term that's used in Proverbs 31 to describe the, the excellent wife, a, a worthy wife. Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Boaz is saying, Ruth, I feel honored that you would ask me. You're exactly the kind of woman that I would want to marry. 
course I'll do all that you ask. He consoles her fears. Secondly, he guards her dignity. Verse 13, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down till the morning. Now, you might know that in the scriptures in ancient Israel, even today, the idea of lying down with somebody is a euphemism for sexual activity. But it's clear here that that's not what Boaz means. He uses a different word. That's not the word that Boaz uses. He uses the word for, like, actually lie down and go to sleep. No, really go to sleep. He makes himself clear. She came there in the middle of the night. She pulls up his covers. She's dressed like a bride. She's smelling like the perfume counter at Macy's. And he says, look, just go to sleep, all right? We'll, we'll handle all this in the morning. I want you to go to sleep. Rest easy. Guards her dignity. And then he sends her back home before dawn so that nobody else sees her, right? In fact, he just even says, I don't know if he's talking to somebody else or just saying it out loud. He's like, we're not going to tell anybody about this. We're not going to tell anybody that she came here, right? Now, you, you could read this as Boaz protecting his reputation, but there are other ways he could have done that. He could have exposed her. He could have sent her out the night before. He's protecting her reputation. He's guarding her dignity. And thirdly, he meets her needs. To accept this responsibility, he's going to have to pay for this field that Elimelech owned. Boaz doesn't need another field, but he's willing to bear the costs. And we'll hear a lot more about that next week in the next chapter as he negotiates with this other kinsman redeemer who's actually a little closer and in more of a social position to do this. But Boaz, in addition to buying the field and paying the cost, he's also going to be taking these two women into his house. He's going to be taking on the burden of their care, and he agrees to do it. And then, kind of as a token of all this, in verses 15 to 18, he sends Ruth home with six measures of barley. And I just want you to think about this for a second. Ruth went into this episode thinking she might have to take off her clothes. She comes home with her clothes full of food for her and for Naomi, food they desperately need. And when Ruth does get home, she, Naomi asks her what happened. Ruth shows her the barley and tells her all about what has happened. This sign is not lost on her because remember when Naomi came back to Bethlehem at the end of chapter one, she says, I went away full and I came back empty. And Boaz sends Ruth back not empty-handed as if to say, I want to fill up where you're lacking. I want to make up where there's loss. I want to fill the emptiness. Boaz consoles her fears. He guards her dignity. He meets her needs. Lastly, what does this have to do with us? All right? It's an interesting historical episode. What does this have to do with us? And what does this have to do with our calling and our neighborhood and the city and with those around us? That's what we've been asking in this whole series. What does this mean for our missionary vocation as a church? We're a missionary congregation. What does that mean? Well, you know, when you go back and look through the pages of Scripture, one of the first things that you see that happens after sin enters into the world, right? Right after sin comes into the world, people begin to ask the question about the responsibility that they have to one another, right? They begin to question if they have any responsibility for one another, right? So you read Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, uh, the, the fall happens, brokenness enters into the world, and then you just turn one page over to Genesis 4, and one of the first questions that's asked of God is, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Sin comes in, Am I my brother's kid? Do I really have a responsibility for the people that are around me to care for the people around me? And the answer in that story 
And really throughout all of Scripture is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. We are meant to bear each other's burdens. We are to guard each other's dignity. We are to console the fears of those around us. We are to meet needs when we see them and when we can. And the story of the Old Testament is God coming and showing his people how to do this. He comes and he himself bears Israel's sin. He offers them mercy and forgiveness. It comes through the sacrificial system and through the priesthood and through the temple. He becomes their refuge and their shelter. He's their guide in the wilderness as they wander. He provides for them and he protects them and shepherds them. And then you get to the New Testament and Jesus is doing all these same things. He's moving toward need always and toward hurt and toward pain. And can you think of any passages in the New Testament where somebody comes to Jesus, shares their struggles, and he says, eh, too bad, and sends them away? Can you think of any like that? I can't. Rather, Jesus sees the burdens of others, and he begins to take those burdens onto himself. He takes on the burdens of sickness and disease and poverty, Matthew chapter 8. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. And all of this need meeting and burden bearing finds its fulfillment on the cross when he takes on the burden for our sin. First Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Christ pays the price of redemption. He is the redeemer. He gives his life for us. And Paul sums this up in Ephesians 1. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is what Christ has done for us, for the people of God. And now we're to go out into the world to proclaim this good news, that there is a redeemer. And part of the way that we bear witness to the redemption we have in Jesus is when we enter into this costly burden bearing with others. We said earlier that all redemption involves a cost, right? Talk more about this next week. All redemption uh, comes with a cost, involves a cost. But really, you know, all love comes with a cost. You know this. When you help somebody who's having a hard time, when you help somebody with a burden, what happens? What what happens when you give help? Even if you're just listening or or somebody comes over Friday night, something bad has happened, a a breakup, a hardship of some kind, they come to your house, and what happens is, you know, hopefully they leave, leave a little lighter, But you leave a little heavier, right? Some of their burden slips off of them and slips onto you. This is really what happens with all kind of help is you're sharing burdens. And this is hard. You can watch the Food Channel. You can watch uh, HGTV and these hospitality shows. and, And Martha Stewart makes hospitality look so easy and glamorous and great. But if you're really going to engage with this over any kind of time, this is hard. Welcoming people into your life is hard. There's a cost relationally, emotionally. There's a cost to your time. Maybe there's a cost to your finances. By the way, it's okay to feel that this is hard. It's okay to feel tired. It's okay to be realistic about what you can do and what you can't do. You are a finite person after all. I want you to hear that. That's okay. 
And I also want you to hear, right, I look out at this group of people, this congregation, I don't know all of your stories, but I I see so much of you doing this. This is amazing. I see you all doing this, caring for each other, making meals and watching kids and showing up for people in need in their hard moments and interceding for each other in prayer and tutoring in schools and cutting lawns and going over budgets to help people out and giving generously like you've done throughout this campaign. I see you doing this. I'm so encouraged, so grateful. My prayer is that you experience Sunday mornings not just as a rallying point for more ministry, but as a refreshment in the midst of it. At the Lord's table, Jesus feeds us. He refreshes us. He spreads his wings of love over us. He bears our burdens. And we're invited to cast our burdens, our cares onto him. I want you to hear As a word of encouragement this morning, an invitation to refreshment. I see you doing these things. Pray that God would refresh you as you do. But also, I'd love for you to hear this as a reminder that this is our calling together. To bear burdens, to care for one another, but also extend that care to bear witness to God's redemption in the world. Greg Thompson, I said this in the first week, quoted him. The greatest missionary task of the church in a secular age is the recovery of the vocation of hospitality. This is our calling. The greatest missionary task of the church in a secular age is the recovery of the vocation of hospitality. How do we do that? How do we welcome people in? In the first week, we talked about seeing the sorrows of our neighbors and seeking their good. Last week, we talked about how can we be based, right? How can we be sanctuary, a safe place, a a sheltering kindness for others? And today, we're adding to that this notion of consoling fears, Guarding dignity, meeting needs. This is a holy calling that we embark upon. A wearying one at times, but one where God meets us to refresh us and strengthen us. And so let's pray and ask for God to meet us even now in this work together. Would you pray with me? And then we'll come to the Lord's Supper here in a moment. Lord, we are grateful for the chance to do this work together to bear witness to your redemption before our neighbors, before our friends, before our city, in all the places that we go during the week, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhood. Father, we pray that even now you would meet us with refreshment. Even as we sing songs of redemption together, would you remind us of the ways that you have provided for us As we sit under the teaching of your word, even as we're challenged, would you also uh, refresh us and and, and revive us in our spirits? And as we're welcomed to your table, we pray that we'd find nourishment and sustenance to do the work you've called us to. Lord, we don't want to grow weary of well-doing. And so we ask for peace of mind and peace of heart. We ask for an understanding of our own limits and our own limitations. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would multiply whatever humble efforts we can make, like, like that boy who brought the loaves and fish that Jesus was able to multiply into so much more to feed and meet the needs of many. Pray that you would do that for this congregation as we offer what we have. Lord, would you help us to grow in our gratefulness for the ways that you're already at work and grow in our hopefulness of the ways that you'll continue to work through us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. 
Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.